you are going to have a full-fledged life of pleasures, heavenly and secular as well. Because as Rumi says, when you have the hundred, you have ninety, you have eighty, you have the lower parts as well. You don't lose anything. So I hope that uh, we, following Muhyiddin, not just read him, but follow him, follow in his footsteps, and to invite people that uh, there is such a garden, there is such a great feast, such a symposium. You can join free of charge. You can join and enjoy yourself with the highest quality of pleasures, of beauty, truth, and the good. Tonight, uh, <coughs> you remember so far that we started by a letter, a lovely letter from Mohyeddin, written in the mouth of God, that, oh, my beloved, where are you? Come to me. And uh, another poem by Rumi, who said the same thing. And the other night, I, we had an ex excursion in the Golestan, in the Rose Garden of Saadi, to follow unity of being, music, and other subject issues by Muhyiddin. Tonight, we are going to speak about two things. First, r resolving certain contradictions, seemingly contradictions, in the sayings of Muhammad and in the verses of the Quran, which seem to be contradictory, but Rumi and Muhyiddin have resolved the problem in the same way, and even by the same terminology. Rumi follows the terminology of Muhyiddin. So first we read number 48 from this book. I'm sorry that these letters are Arabic <laughs> figures and not English. Of course, the English is also called Arabic figures. Uh, but I, <laughs> I hope that you can find this uh, passage towards the end of the book. Yes, 48. Four, eight. The first is a very important question about two traditions by Muhammad, which seem to be totally contradictory. In one, he says, if you consent, if you are happy, if you are pleased with heresy, you are a heretic. You shouldn't consent to heresy. And in another, another tradition, he says, you have to submit yourself to the destiny of God and whatever he has ordained, you have to be happy and pleased with that ordain of God, with that uh, destiny of God, with what, what the laws of God. So Rumi is uh, resolving this question. Would you, one of our friends, read, start reading it? Uh, infidelity is ignorance, and the ordainment of infidelity is wisdom. Right? Yesterday, a man who was fond of dialectic put a question to me. 
He said, the prophet says that to be pleased with infidelity is an act of infidelity, and his words are conclusive, like a seal. But he has also declared that the Muslim must be pleased with every divine ordainment. Now, is not infidelity and hypocrisy God's ordainment? If I am pleased with infidelity, I shall be disobeying God. And if I am not pleased, that too will be wicked. How can I escape from this dilemma? Yeah. Uh, Will you continue to the end, and then I'll explain. I replied... I replied, infidelity is the thing ordained, not the ordainment, but the effect of the ordainment. I acquiesce in infidelity in that respect, that it is God's ordainment, not in this respect, that it is our rebelliousness and wickedness. In respect of the ordainment, infidelity is not infidelity. Do not call God infidel, recant. Infidelity is ignorance, and the ordainment of infidelity is wisdom. How, pray, should Halum Ruth and Halum Rath be identical? The ugliness of the script is not the ugliness of the scribe. Nay, it is an exhibition of the ugly by him. Yes. You see, there are many such dilemmas in Islamic theology and theosophy which have been very clearly resolved by Rumi and by Muhyiddin. One of them is that uh, the same issue which was uh, explained by Rumi here, that uh, you can submit yourself to the ordainment of God. It is, it is good that there are infidels and there are believers and there are disbelievers. Because in the the, in the total design of God for the world, it is universal good. It, is, it may be partial evil. All partial evil is universal good. So God has decided that there should be the devil and the angels. But you have to follow the angels rather than the devil. God has ordained that there should be infidelity in the world. This is the test of God, that is the trial. So you say, your answer is that, well, I submit myself to both traditions, the sayings of Muhammad, that I am happy with the ordainment, but not the thing ordained. Kufre maqzi, these are, this is the terminology of Muhyiddin. Kufre maqzi and kufre qaza, means the infidelity or heresy of uh, ordainments, I mean the fact that God has ordained, and the thing which has been ordained, which is my infidelity or your infidelity. So the fact that there should be infidelity and belief in the world, it is good, it is wisdom, it comes from wisdom of God, from knowledge of God. But the fact that I am infidel is from my ignorance, because I don't know. So there are much difference between this and that. We can accept both at the same time. And in the same way, the question of sin, for example, the question of sin, whether it is to be attributed to God or attributed to man. You know the story of Adam and... Uh, Adam and Eve, they were uh, called to the court of God 
and the devil also, Satan, was called to, be, to answer why he disobeyed. Fortunately, at first, Rumi says, fortunately, at first, uh, this, uh, Satan was called. They asked him, well, Satan, how did you disobey when I ordered that you should uh, fall prostrate to man and you disobeyed? How is it that? The devil said, well, first of all, you tempted me yourself. He was not courteous. He started arguing with God and said he attributed the action to God that everything is ordained by you. And uh, then he says, besides that, besides that, uh, I am better than him. I am better than Adam because you created Adam out of clay and created me out of fire. There is a verse in the Quran that God created jinn or Satan and devils from pure fire. So he says a fire has a higher state and a higher value than clay. And Rumi says a very funny story here that a lion and a wolf and a fox had made some hunting. And then uh, the lion said, okay, ask the wolf, you can divide it between us. The wolf was not courteous enough in front of the lion. Lion is a symbol of God. And he said, well, okay, what you have hunted, which is a deer, it is yours. And what I have hunted, which is a sheep, it is mine. And uh, this uh, rabbit hunted by the fox belongs to the fox. The lion became angry and jumped at the wolf and cut the, his, its throat and plucked his head and threw it away on this side. And then he called to the fox, now you can divide, you can divide uh, the, the huntings. The fox take, took a look at the wolf's head and said, well, uh, your, the deer is for your lunch and the sheep is for your dinner, for your supper. And what a small thing, my rabbit, is for your breakfast. The lion said, well, very good. How did you learn? Where did you learn this uh, wise division? He said, well, I learned it from the head of the wolf. So Adam, Rumi says, is, we were fortunate that uh, we were not called first because we could not learn something. So, but Adam saw Adam and Eve were present when... Uh, Satan was being judged. So, uh, when asked, when God asked, why did you disobey me? When did I not tell you that you shouldn't approach such and such tree and you shouldn't eat such and such fruit? They said, well, yes, we, we did wrong and we repent from our wrong deed. And if you don't pardon us, we don't know what to, where to go, what to do. And we seek for pardon. God said, well, well done. Very good. And I pardon you. But later, later when Satan was not present and the angels were absent, he said to Adam, well, you didn't know that everything is designed by me 
and I ordained for everything, you could say something in, in the court. He said, well, um, for two reasons. I didn't say anything. First of all, it is not mm, uh, in love, there is no argument between lovers. And I love you, when you say it is your fault, it is my fault. I don't argue with you, because I love you. And Romy says that devil had no love, otherwise he would accept to say, well, mm, he, do, he wouldn't argue with his Lord. But he, but Adam was courteous and said, well, he had, this is the courtesy of love, that I don't this, uh, I mean, reject your saying, I, I don't argue with you. I don't raise a debate. And secondly, because it is true that when you ask me that why did you do this wrong thing, it is attributed to me. If you have done it, if I attribute it to you, there is no sin. It is very good of you that you have created us, Adam and Eve and human beings, in such a way as we are free to obey or to disobey. This is, this is very good of you. This is very wise of you that you have created us like this. So, it is, here no one is to be blamed. So if we attribute the action to God, there is no sin. If you attribute the action to man, then there is the sin. So that is why, that is why we have to accept the, the responsibility, we have to take the burden, and we shouldn't argue. Because on that side, there is uh, no blame. And actually, Nezami when he is praising God for the wonders he has done in the world, in his uh, preamble to Mahsan uh, al-Asrar, the treasury of secrets, he says, He put a mole, a black mole of asa, of disobedience. He has compared disobedience to a black mole on the face, which adds to the charm of the face. You see? But, of course, as far as it is no more than a, a dot. See, there is, it is said that an Arab had married a totally black woman. And then they asked, they, his friends asked him, what is that you have married? He said, well, People love a lady with a small black hole. So how is it my, my beloved is all mole? completely uh, a pure mole. So, he says that the mole of disobedience, he put on the face of Adam, he put this. So, from that side, if God has done it, he has done it well, and there is no disobedience, there is nothing wrong, and uh, there is no sin. It's all wise. So, the same thing is uh, the same dilemma is in predestination and free will. That uh, you have no argument with predestination. You accept predestination. Yes, everything has been predestined by God. But then, uh, you are free. You have to take responsibility. You have to consider yourself responsible for what you do. And you have to repent. You have to 
stop yourself and other people from wrongdoing because we are created free. You feel this freedom. Even though you accept that everything has been destined by God at the same time. There is a story in Rumi again that somebody had entered without permission into a garden of uh, some neighbors and then he was picking the flowers and eating. The gardener came and the owner of the, of the garden came and said, well, what are you doing here in, in my garden? He said, well, this is the tree of God and this is the fruits of God and this is the hand of God and there is no power but the power of God. There is no power in the world but the power of God. So the, the, the owner brought him down, fastened him to the tree by a rope and started beating with a stick. And then said, what are you doing? You're killing me. He said, well, this is the stick of God and this is the hand of God and this is the tree of God and this is the rope of, of God. So the man said, well, I repent from being a, predest a follower of predestination. I, I confess that there is ikhtiyar, there is freedom, there is freedom, there is freedom. Ikhtiyar as ikhtiyar as ikhtiyar. So in many cases like this, uh, Rumi and Muhyiddin, they don't take side. They, the two sides are uh, actually a part of the harmony of the world. And you have to keep equilibrium between the two sides. If you, for example, Mu'tazile and Ashaire, there were two sects uh, with so much commotion and so much debate and so much clash between them in history of Islam. But both of them were wrong. There are people who say that God has similarity to his creatures. It is called immanence. God is comparable to his creatures. And this image of Krishna, for example, this is God. And some people say, no, this is infidelity, this is heresy, and you shouldn't say that God is transcendent and he has no similarity. He is in no way comparable to his creatures. So they call it arbab tanzih, arbab tashbih, means people following transcendence, attributes of transcendence, and people following the attributes of immanence and comparability. But neither Muhyiddin nor Mawlana, they say, well, Tawheed, which is unity, has two sides. One is you have to know that God is incomparable, and at the same time, everywhere you can, you turn your face, you can see him. So the highest intelligence for Muhyiddin and Rumi or Anhafiz and all of them, you, you see that they don't take side in, in these uh, cases and they just resolve it in their own heart. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Walt Whitman who said, well, I contradict myself. Yes, I do contradict myself because I am big. I am vast. I, I have so many things at the same time. I, I contradict myself. So this consistency... Uh, particularly superficial cons consistency is just for the layman. 
who are looking at, are you this or that? I am both. I am both a, a man following predestination and following the free will. I am existentialist and I am naturalist. In, in, in European philosophy, you have naturalists like Emil Zola, for example, with his novels, insisting that nobody, everybody is innocent and nobody is to be blamed because uh, everything happens according to genetics and environment. And neither of them is in your hand because your genetic, you receive it, and the environment, you receive it. And the existentialists say, well, no, you are the architect of your own people like Jean-Paul Sartre and Kierkegaard. You are the architect, architect of your own life, and uh, you have to decide. And if um, you are lame and you are not, you do not win in the race of running, it is your own fault. You have to try and you do it. If you, if you choose and you decide and you uh, make sufficient efforts. Rumi has a very beautiful story of, uh, he has of course taken the story from Kelile and Demne. You know, Kelile Demne is uh, one of the most wonderful uh, books of Persian prose, which has been inspired or you could say translated from Pancha Tantra, an Indian old book in Sanskrit, um, which is a wonderful book of wisdom, of worldly wisdom mostly, as well as spiritual wisdom. Uh, so he has taken the story that there is an argument between the lion and beasts of prey and other beasts in the jungle. They gathered together and they went to the lion and said, well, how is it that we are trembling every moment that you might attack any one of us? It is better that we decide uh, every morning we will bring you your food of the day from, from among ourselves and then uh, there can be peace between us and we won't tremble anymore. No anxiety. And then there is a discussion, a long, very read, readable, very with, it's a reading with much fascination. Um, it's a story with much charm and beauty uh, as it is expressed by Rumi, not by the original book. Because Rumi has uh, taken the story and with the alchemy of his uh, art, has turned into gold. He has got the copper and turned it into gold. So there is a lovely argument between lion. Lion says, no, we have to make effort. How can I depend on you? And they say, well, you have to uh, have trust in God and uh, don't be afraid. We will surely bring it. He said, no, I can't trust in God. I have to trust on our own efforts and we have to make it sure. And then they... Each of them, they have arguments. And finally, the lion is the winner. He says, well, you have been arguing with me, making efforts to confirm your own idea on me by reading poetry, by reading verses from the Quran, by bringing argument, by demonstrations. So you are trying best to follow, to, to, to confirm that uh, effort is not important. 
So if it wasn't important, you wouldn't do that. You are all the time, you have been trying to convince me that I shouldn't trust, but I should do my effort. So uh, in the case of predestination and free will, Hafez, Saadi and Rumi, and Attar and Sanai, all great, and people like Jami, and uh, even Hatif Isfahani, they all follow the tradition of Muhyiddin, that you have to submit yourself to both sides in these dilemmas. The second section we are going to read tonight is a poem by Rumi again, about substantial motion. The question, you see, it is two, three. Two, three. Are we doing questions at the end? Or can we yes, yeah, the why not? In the middle? Yes, why not? Yeah, why not? Can I just be clear about one thing? In, in, um, in the philosophy of the the devil is evil, is, has a nature of evil. Or is it that he is, he just has an absence of good? Is he actually... Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll explain, yes. Actually, here also both sides are to be uh, found in the work of Rumi. Actually, one night, one morning, sorry, one, one, one morning, Satan comes to a person like Mu'avieh, one of the leaders of Islam, one of the caliphs of Islam, and uh, he said, well, rise up and have your prayer, your morning prayer. He said, who are you? He said, I'm the devil. He said, how you are the devil and you are, you, you are going to guide me to, to uh, recite, to, to say my prayers? How is it that explain? And then, the devil is defending himself that, well, I, have not, I am not evil. I, if, I am, if you see that I am tempting people, I am testing people. I don't enforce my temptation. I just tempt people to see who is following really the way of God and who, is, uh, he is, who has, pre, he has inclinations to follow the, uh, the evil. I am a test. I just show you that you are not right when you say, I, I follow God, I believe in God. Many people say, well, I, we believe in God, we are good people, but there should be someone to test you. There should be someone to tell you that your cholesterol <laughs> is high, your, your sugar is high. So he is doing a job in the world. The job is that he is testing all people. You are wrathful. You, I can set you to anger in a moment. You are, I will put you in a situation to be proud and uh, show your proud, pride. But I don't create proud in you. I mean pride in you. I just offer you and show you that you are still on a lower level. And so that you can just try harder and become better. And uh, the devil <coughs> uh, 
actually is a friend of prophets in the works of Mohiuddin and in the works of Rumi, that uh, he sits together with Moses, with Jesus, and uh, he has discussions with them, and he doesn't tempt them because they are untemptable. Nothing bad uh, tempts them. Actually, Bernard Shaw once said that I submit myself to any temptation. They said, how? He said, because nothing bad tempts me. So if you are free from the grasp of the devil, then the devil, your friend, he will help you. He will help you. He is the test and trial of God. Ibtila in the Quran, that God even uh, tried Abraham. He tried many of his prophets to show where they are. Actually, Mohyeddin says God um, put Abraham to test and he was refused. He lost because he wanted to know whether uh, in, in the case of sacrificing his own son, he saw in, the, in a dream that he has to sacrifice his own son. And the next day he told his son that I have seen in my dream that I, you should be sacrificed to God. I have to cut your head. And then he uh, prepared himself and his son to do that. But suddenly an, an angel sent by God and stopped him. And Mohyeddin says this is uh, where Abraham was shown that he didn't understand the interpretation of dreams like Joseph. He didn't know that he shouldn't sacrifice his son. It doesn't mean that. So Joseph, uh, who for Mohyeddin is the wisdom of light, is the wisdom of light, he knew in the light he could see the meaning of everything, the meaning of dreams, the meaning of symbols, the meaning of mythology, the meaning of religious stories. They all have a meaning. You shouldn't follow the literal uh, sense. Uh, so devil, um, sometimes even by people like Enul Ghazat, he says uh, in certain respects, the devil is a higher level than the Prophet Muhammad. Because um, he, he could defend himself that when God asked me to obey and to fall prostrate before man, I didn't do that because I loved God, because I didn't want to prostrate myself before anybody ex except God. So there are some arguments in, um, in Rumi's work, in Mohyeddin's work, that the devil is, from another point of view, is uh, actually uh, acquitted of his uh, allegations. But at the same time, uh, there is a story that uh, Moses, who was in clash with Pharaoh, was with Pharaoh. He was asked, "How is it? Are you against? Are you the enemy of Pharaoh?" He said, "No, I, I really thank him because if there was no Pharaoh, there was no one to claim to be God. Because Pharaoh, he claimed that I am an Arab al I am your Lord. I am your highest Lord." Uh, Moses said, well, if there was not such a being, they wouldn't make me a prophet. So I am a prophet just because he exists. So I, how, how, I'm a friend of him. But 
in this realm, in this theater, I have to attack him, I have to have clash with him, I have to drive him away. This is my job. But not because I am against, I, I have any hatred against Pharaoh. So that is the same in the, in the theater, because all the world is a stage. And all men and women merely players. So in this play, um, when you are in the play, you have to follow the play. Maybe you are the fool. So you have to follow the uh, commandments of the king. But the king is not the king. Uh, outside the theater, you may be friends with each other. You see? So the second section, everybody have found that uh, uh, spiritual journey. This is one of the most important issues in Islamic philosophy, which is called uh, sub substantial motion. Now let me explain that uh, according to Aristotle, the whole world is divided first into existence and quiddity. That's the first division. That there are two concepts. The concept of existence, of beingness, and the concept of whatness and quiddity. And the whole world is a mixture of these two concepts. Everything, for example, an apple. An apple has some quiddity. You say, what is an apple? And then you ask, does it exist? Do you really, you remember that uh, uh, Alice in the Wonderland asked Unicorn, that, uh, do you really exist? I always thought that you are a chimerical animal. Uh, how is it that you really exist? He said, well, yes, I always thought that human being is a chimerical animal. <laughs> and so, um, are you true? <laughs> he said, okay, so if you believe in me, I will believe in you. Is that a bargain? This is... <laughs> So, uh, you ask about the whatness and you ask about the beingness. So, beingness belongs to God, according to Mohyuddin and Rumi. And then we come to quiddity. Quiddity is divided into two again. Because, you know, uh, the, the divisions of uh, Aristotle is logical divisions, and it can be either this or that. They are by value, by value system, like uh, algebra, uh, modern algebra, which has the two values of zero and one. In Aristotle's logic, which, very, which looks very like uh, our computers, it is either zero or one. There is no third alternative between being and not being. Everything is either a book or not a book. You see? So there is no third alternative when it comes to being or not being. So uh, the second division is that everything in the world is either a substance or an accident. Mm. Substance is what stands on itself. It depends uh, on in its own essence. And it doesn't need anything else to appear. Like an apple, for example. An apple exists by its own being. But the color in the apple, the color in the, in, in the leaves, the, the green color, it cannot appear without something. 
it is it has to be either in 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 the green, in 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 a flower or in a tree or in a, in some somewhere you you have to see red color either in this in 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 the sunset or in an apple or in a tomato uh, you cannot see redness without an essence without a substance so there are certain things which are accident for example water is warm water is the substance and warm and cold are accidents it just happens to be either warm or cold or lukewarm or, or hot these are accidents hotness or warmness cannot appear without a substance there should be a substance in which it would appear for example quality sour when you say it is sour it is sweet it is bitter uh, it should appear in a substance although you can conceive the idea without the substance you know what bitter is you know what sweet is but if sweetness and bitterness is to appear in this world it has to appear in some substance so the second division is substance and accident and then aristotle has uh, divided the substances into five the substance of uh, this reason is a substance soul is another substance the main function of reason is differentiating between things that is the the, the role of reason reason is a leader is a distinguisher and then soul the human soul soul is the one that loves if you ask somebody asked you who are you i am the one who loves what do you love i love everything if i'm a little child i love my mother's breast i love this i love that the bigger and the more the wider i become i love more and more so the essence of human being is wanting is wishing in desiring that is why uh, Tennyson says I am a child in darkness and I'm crying I'm crying for milk and I have no other way to inform my desire but by crying so we are just a cry cry doesn't mean shedding tears cry means when all your being desires something that is that is you you are a substance whose main definition is desiring and wanting for example reason can understand beauty because well this is more beautiful than that this is more harmonious this is better that's uh, but reason is not in love but soul true reason can understand it is beautiful or she is beautiful and then she desires she desires and she wants her so uh, the being that wants the substance the the essence of which is desiring is man is the soul this is substance and these two are not material non-material substances 
And there are three material substances. One is uh, matter. One is uh, form. And one is the corporal body, means uh, the, the, the world in which we live. This book is a solid thing, or we are, we have a body. Body is a combination of matter and form. Suppose you are making a pitcher, a kuze, a pitcher. Uh, the clay is the matter. The form you give to it for some reason, for some purpose, that is form, and they together is a thing, is the body. So there are three, three uh, substances, matter, form, and uh, together they are, they form something, the things, the, incor the corporal things. And then the accidents are many. It is quantity, it is quality, it is relation. I am the son of this. I am the father of that. You see, it is relation. It's relative. This is up and this is down. This is near. This is far. These are things which are accidental. Space and time do not exist without a substance. There should be a substance which might have a place or a time. So now this is, there is a question in, among philosophers that whether motion, you know, motion is changing. The whole world is changing. And Mohyeddin says we have immutable entities of eternity. Immutable entities from eternity. They existed in God. Because Mohyeddin believes that God did not create anything out of nothingness, but out of himself. And in himself, in his own heart, there were some entities, eternal and unchangeable. And that is the idea of Plato, the arc idea of Plato. That uh, everything, for example, this lion, this is uh, mutable. But the archetype, and the idea of a lion is immutable in the, in the knowledge of God, in the heart of God. So there is a, a hot discussion, argument between philosophers that whether motion happens in accidents or happens also in substances. We call it substantial motion or accidental motion. For example, you are sitting there and you rise up and go that side of the room. This is a motion. This is a change. This is a change of place. Yesterday, up to now, you are the same person. But your time has changed. Something grows a little bit bigger. For example, an apple is a small and grows bigger. So this is a change in quantity, a change in quality, the change of color, the change of taste. You see, so uh, some 
actually, I, I could say most prepathetic philosophers after Aristotle, Al-Farabi, Avicenna, they all believe that motion is only in, in accidents, not in the substance. Because if the substance changes, then you can no longer say that anything like change has happened. If when you are going from this side of the room, in that side you are somebody else, you are a, a bird, then we can't say you have changed. You, there is no you. There's, there should be something that remains in the change. You say that this car has been driven, or uh, we ha I have driving this car all through from London to Cambridge. So it is the same car. But it has only changed the accident, which is the place. But Mullah Sadra, the last of great Iranian uh, philosophers, and before that, Rumi and Mohyeddin, they believed in another sort of motion, which is substantial motion. While they believed that that something which has to remain, remains, but the, the, the motion is substantial. He says that uh, when you are moving from ignorance to knowledge, this is not is an accidental motion. It is substantial motion because in your substance some change has happened. Now you are more knowledgeable. Now you are in love. Now you are, uh, you can reason. A child, a little child cannot reason. From an, a journey from embryo to a full-fledged man like uh, Einstein or Mozart or Bertrand Russell. So this is a journey. This is a journey in the, in the essence of human nature. What remains is the human nature. You are, when you were a child, you are much bigger, you are essentially changed. But you are still the same person because uh, the essence of humanity, uh, the, the essence of human soul remains in you. So there are two kinds of uh, changes, accidental and substantial. For example, when you are intoxicated, you drink wine, you get intoxicated. That intoxication is accidental and leaves you after a time. You are, a, you are sober again after a time. Uh, I have said this anecdote about Winston Churchill, what I repeated here because it is applicable, that um, he was very drunk in a gathering. He was a heavy drinker, Churchill. And a lady passed by and said, Sir, you are drunk, very drunk, extremely drunk, disgustingly drunk. But Churchill, with peace of mind, peacefully removed his cigar and said, Madam, you are ugly, very ugly, extremely ugly, disgustingly ugly, but I'll be sober tomorrow. <laughs> you see? There is an intoxication which is followed by sobriety. You are sober again after a time. But in Islamic mysticism, in literature, in the world literature, there is a kind of intoxication which is essential. You become intoxicated. Your essence 
achieves to the level of intoxication. You are intoxicated. You are happy. Happiness belongs to you. You are pure happiness. How can they change you? How can they get your happiness from you? Because you are the happiness itself. Rumi says, Man aariyatam daranchi khoshnis. Whatever is not sweet, is not happy, is not good, it is not me. Because I am pure happiness. Actually, Atman in, in Indian language, Atman, which is the soul, is happiness. And Ruh means also happiness. We are, the, the very essence of human being is happiness. If you are not happy, you are not yourself. Somebody else is ruling in you. You see, so Rumi says, if you are not going to be anxious about this mutable world that everything is changing every moment, you have to achieve to the essence. Go after, not the accident. You shouldn't abide by the accident. Go to the essence to the substance, and then you will be happy always. And in the same meaning, uh, religion, some people have an accidental religion. Religion is not a part of their, their soul. They have learned something, they are doing some rituals. This is something accidental. But when you become a religious person, it is something happens in you, really. You change substantially change, you are spiritual, you have become bigger, you, your, your extension has changed, your dimensions have changed. So we have substantial religion, we have accidental religion. And that accidental religion doesn't stop you from doing wrong, doesn't stop you from dishonesty, doesn't stop you from all evils. But true religion, when you, you, are, you feel related to spirituality and to your Lord, and that is true religion. That is substantial religion. And uh, Rumi and uh, Mohyeddin, they both believe that we are moving towards perfection. Muhammad is the perfect par excellence, par excellence. Uh, and we are all trying to move towards him. If he is calling us and he says, follow me, if you, there is a verse in the Quran that if you love God, then follow me. I will take you to God. So, if you take a journey from uh, imperfection to perfection, that is uh, your mission in the world. So, if they ask you, who are you? I am a traveler from imperfection towards perfection. And perfection is the perfect man. Man is the end of perfection. Because at that perfection, you are one with your Lord. And that is why uh, an English poet says, uh, Oh my God, give me one perfect thing for all the days I have uh, frittered away uh, in, in unuseful, I have wasted my time. Give me one perfect thing. Because if you see one perfect thing, then you, are, you can see through that perfect thing, you can see God. And that is why art is important. That is why Mozart is important. Because they have created perfect things. The, the magic flute of uh, uh, Mozart, they say, 
it has not be, it, it could not be written by anyone but God. He is the author of the symphony. He is the author, and that is why Muhyiddin says, in the beginning of his fusus, of his bezels, jewels of wisdom, in the beginning he says, well, then I, I had a dream. In my dream, Muhammad appeared, and he gave me this book of jewels, and he told me, go and uh, explain this for, for people. And then I wrote what he dictated to me. So he says, then listen from God. So listen uh, from God and return to God. So Rumi, uh, when he says, Bishnu as nay, listen, hearken to nay. Nay is the flute. But at the same time, it means, nay means doesn't exist. Listen to a person who doesn't exist, because he is God. There is a verse in the Quran that Muhammad doesn't speak anything out of his own desires, out of his own inclinations, wishes, or society, or anything. He is just reflecting what is revealed to him. In yuha. This is all revelation. To Muhammad, he is not speaking of himself. Hafiz has been called Lisanul Qayb. It means the, the tongue of the hidden. We call in, in Persia, we call Hafiz Lisanul Qayb. He is the language of the hidden. He says that I am like a parrot sitting behind, in front of, uh, of a mirror because in the past somebody hid himself behind the mirror and started speaking and the parrot was held before the mirror and then the parrot thought that one of his own genus, one of his own feather is speaking and then he would follow. So Hafez says, I am like a parrot. I'm like a parrot. Whatever they tell me, I tell you. Sadi says the same thing, that I'm looking at my beloved. And I'm reading from his eyes, and what I am writing, this is from uh, the, uh, the words of God. And Rumi says, Somebody had asked, where did you get so many beautiful sonnets, which you just improvise as you are dancing? Because he would not sit down and write these poems. He was turning around and listening to music and to rhythm and all of a sudden he has started composing these poems. So they ask, how is it that so easily such wonderful ideas come out from your mouth? He says, We have written it from a, a, a table, from a book in the hidden world. This is the book of God. I, I just copy it. I just copy it from there. And Einstein says, uh, ideas come from God. I just receive it. And Mozart has written in one of his letters that uh, in the afternoon, usually, I just, when I'm lying on the, on the lawn, on the grass, the ideas are coming. I feel that I just, 
I just write them down as if I am copying. It is said that if a person, if you employ a person to copy all the works of, uh, of Mozart, it would take as much time as he lived. So, um, at the highest points of art and revelation and scriptures, they are not the words of the person. The person is the medium. Through him, God speaks. And this is what Rumi, Sadi, Hafez, um, Nezami has been also, he says, آینه قید گشت نامم در سهر سخن چنان تمامم I'm so perfect in the art of speech and poetry that my name, people call me آینه قید the mirror, the looking glass of the hidden, hidden world. So, here Rumi, we can, would you read the poem? Uh, we can just uh, bring it to an end by reading the text. Uh, will you read the, the, uh, the English? Spiritual journey. I died from mineral and plant became, died from the plant and took the sentient frame, died from the beast, and donned a human dress. When by my dying did I ever grow less, another time from manhood must die, to soar with angel pinions through the sky, midst angels also I must lose my place, since everything shall perish save his face. Let me be naught, the harp strings tell me plain, that unto him do we return again. Yes, you see, Rumi says that uh, I have come a stage by a stage, a station by a station, from embryo, from dust, from clay. Once I was solid clay, and then I came to the plant world. I became, I become sensitive. If you are a plant, Victor Hugo says, if you are a plant, be a sensitive plant. Like Mimosa, for example. If you are uh, a man be love. If you are a solid thing, be adamant. Be adamant. So he says that I was solid in the world of solidity and corporeal world with no sense. I rose to the level of plants. And that is why Rumi says uh, we, we love plants because they are passed by. We have, we have been uh, traveling through, through all being. We have come to a human being. We have passed. We are stones. We are the sun. We are the moon. We are all of them. And Kathleen Rain has a very beautiful poem explaining how he is wondering, who is this I speaking to you? He, he is speaking to you on the side of the rivulets, of the river, of the sun. He is speaking for the sun. He is speaking for the moon. Because we have passed by all these creatures. So we, I came, then um, I died. Every time I died, because this is just one of the rings of the um, ladder to perfection. Every time we die, and then I died from the sensitive plant, from, and then I became animal, and then I could move and uh, understand more and uh, have more freedom, and then I became 
I died as an animal and I became a man. Now I'm a man. From manhood, I will also die and I'll become an angel. From an angel, I will still go farther and further. I will, uh, as I will just outsoar the state of angels. And then I will become what you cannot conceive. You cannot think of it. And then I will return to my Lord. Um, according to a verse he is quoting uh, here, a, a verse from the Quran, Everything, it is written here also in, in that uh, uh, beautiful calligraphy. On the top, Everything uh, will perish except the face of God, the essence of God. So he says, I will rise up and up and up until we achieve to the threshold of my Lord and I become one with him. Uh, and he says at the last line, there's um, some mistake in the translation. It says, the harp strings tell me plain that my my, uh, that unto him do we return again. This question of return, this is not by harp. This is a wind instrument in which Arqanun, Adam Chon Arqanun. Arqanun is a wind instrument where when you just blow in it, it returns back. You see, it has it round and returns. So he says that Adam non-existence, like a wind instrument, would tell me that you are returning to where you were before. And now we are coming from God and we are returning to God. So why should I be afraid of dying? Because every time I die, I become better, more perfect, and more fac faculties and more um, uh, potentialities. Thank you very much. As we can have time now for questions. The other time, I didn't leave any time for questions and answers. and engaging with, say, the Fasus. Um, <clears throat> and uh, what I, was, uh, I wanted to ask you was, you mentioned something about um, the finding a way to read, like a new rhythm. You were talking about different rhythms of poetry last week. Yes. And so um, there's two things, actually. One is that Ibn Arabi, I think, says he is a meaning. Yeah. Um, but also I'm very interested in this uh, sense of well, how, you know, like, finding this new rhythm to read a text such as the, the Seuss, which is so beautiful. Um, well, you know, one of the special qualities of man is understanding rhythm. No other animal can understand one, two, three, one, two, three, cannot follow it. They have tested even uh, the apes uh, and the m most developed apes. They cannot understand, uh, just as they cannot smile and they cannot laugh. <coughs> Laughing is one of the qualities of man. 
this is what Aristotle has uh, first said, that uh, man only laughs. And man laughs only at man. You cannot laugh at anything else. Because uh, even if you laugh at uh, some pot, you have to compare it to a human being and to think of it as a human being and uh, then laugh at it. Otherwise, you cannot laugh. And because laughing uh, is uh, an integrated part, I mean, is, sorry, a sure sign of our intelligence, of our understanding. That is why sense of humor has something to do with intelligence. Uh, the more intelligent, the more you can laugh. You can laugh and laugh. Uh, uh, I, I was reading an article Somebody was complaining about women, particularly English women, that how is it that they don't respond to jokes, they don't laugh, uh, they are not very much responsive to, to jokes. And somebody had answered that it is good because otherwise they would constantly laugh at what we do, what we men are doing. <laughs> so it is good that they do not respond that much. Yes? Isn't it strange that we have on one side the Buddha, always uh, shows himself laughing. Yeah. But on the other side, we have Christ suffering. Who? Christ. Christ. Well, this is the imagine. I mean, the, the image given by, uh, by the apostles. Yeah. Christ himself had certain joys and happiness which sometimes even he could, he hided himself from people uh, because he could not share his joy. He was in constant joy because he received uh, some uh, mysterious harmonies. And uh, so he was always happy. Muhammad was always happy. And happiness is one of the sure signs of religion, of art. If you are not happy, art is not perfect in you. No musician, no great musician, no great artist. What I was explaining about rhythm. Rhythm also is one which belongs, uh, is... Uh, Actually, uh, Aristotle says it is an accident, but it is an accident. It's not like walking. For example, walking is an accident for the substance of man. You can walk, the lion walks, other animals walk. This is common between man and animals. But uh, rhythm is a concept which can be understood only by man. And uh, as I explained the other night, it is uh, a sure sign of happiness. And that everything, when you are just playing a rhythm, it means that everything is okay. I remember that once I was taking a shower. And uh, my daughter was sitting there. <laughs> yeah, she has the habit of every now and then, uh, he just uh, beats uh, some rhythm. And then I was taking a shower, suddenly I heard an, uh, an unusual, a strange sound, and I was afraid that something has happened, that somebody has fallen, or something has exploded. I don't, didn't know. I, I tried to stop myself, to stop showering, and come out. But all of a sudden, he has, she has started uh, playing that uh, rhythm again. I, I thought that everything is okay. If anything bad had happened, she wouldn't do that, because rhythm is a sure sign of happiness. Of course, the tempo, it depends on the tempo. When the tempo is uh, swift, 
like allegro in music, then you, you look to be happier. But when it is uh, calm like adagio, it doesn't mean that you are sad. People think that when the rhythm comes down and it's slower and slower, you think, you just walk in the, in the uh, rose garden of music and you think, you meditate. So no music is sad, whether it is a, a requiem or whether it is allegro or adagio. But of course you can have more, more wisdom in adagio. Adagio speaks to you and allegro expresses your, uh, the, the happiness. And piano, which is the lowest, uh, would probably take you to some um, mental rest and mental peace. Uh, I, maybe tomorrow I will bring uh, my computer and if we have just a small uh, curtain, um, screen I mean, <laughs> not curtain, uh, I can show you some of the rhythms of Persian poetry in pictorial form. Pardon? Uh, can I ask you a question about the yes. I see that in the second translation uh, there are some words in the English which don't appear in the first one. Yes. Um, I shall become what no mind ever conceived. Oh, let me not exist. Oh, the second translation you mean? Which, which translation do you think is the more accurate? And, um, what is that actually? I mean, if, if the second one is the better of the two? No, well, I think well, the first one is better of the two. Okay. I just, this is for students. I have compiled this book for okay. students. That is why there are some exercises after that. Sure. Uh, this is, so I gave an alternative translation so that the students would compare them and give comments mm -hmm. on which translation is better and why. Mm -hmm. This is for translation students in Iran. Okay. Yes, that is why. But I personally think that this is done by E.G. Brown. Of course, this is by Nicholson. Nicholson is more true to the text. But E.G. Brown, Edward Brown, is more fluent. And I, I like it more. But you can equally read Nicholson's. But none of them has given this Al-Qanun. They both have translated the harp. Let me see. For non-existence proclaim in, oh yes, uh, Nicholson has given the word organ. Mm. It is right. Because organ is the wind instrument and harp is a string, mm. a string instrument. But, sorry, it seems to me that the, the lines here, I shall become what no mind Oh yeah. This that, that seems to me to be introducing a whole new concept which is not in the first translation. Uh, just, just here, I shall, I shall become what no mind ever conceived, or let me not exist. Oh yes, I shall become non-existence. Well, yeah. I explained the other night about the, the word non-existence. It doesn't mean existing not. Non-existence means non-existence of all limitations. It means that I rise and rise, and at every station, I lose some of my limitations until they become non-existent. Non-existence is actually uh, absolute existence. 
So he says, in non-being, not in the sense that Kathleen Raine has used it in in nothingness and non-existence. He is praising non-existence, that non-existence is the source of everything. It is in that sense it is used. Yeah? Could you comment on man's place in the hierarchy of being from this poem? Because some, you know, sometimes angels are conceived as, as above man. Well, sometimes, you know, man oh, I see. Because I see. Muhammad, say, as perfect being, perfect created being. Yeah. He's not you, an angel, and he's still a You man. are right, yes. Because um, it is emphasized and repeatedly confirmed by Muhyiddin and Rumi that man has a higher level than angel. But here he means ordinary man. I became a man and then I rose to the level of an angel, means a spiritual man and uh, nearer and innocent and I was purified. And then in this case he is not comparing angel to man. Angel is just one of the uh, stations of man. Actually, according to Muhyiddin, every prophet from, from Adam, Adam was a prophet, Noah, Joseph, Moses, Jesus, uh, Muhyiddin believes that each of them gives you a wisdom. They are the words of God. There is a verse in the Quran that, There is a word whose name is Masih whose name is Masih. The word is Masih himself, is Jesus. So Adam was a word, Moses was a word, Jesus was a word, a word of wisdom. And Mohyeddin has tried to explain that each prophet in the Quran, there are 20, 27, 27, 27 is Muhammad. Each of them has a different wisdom in them are a symbol of another wisdom. Uh, Noah was this wisdom of transcendence. The other one was the wisdom of wonder and wandering and bewilderment. The other one is the wisdom of uh, light, the wisdom of uh, uh, God's quality, who is Adam, the wisdom of different things, of God's uh, immortality, of sanctity. So Every prophet is one of the station of the perfection of man until it comes to Muhammad. And he believes that Muhammad is the summing up of all previous prophets. So, Nam Ahmad, this is by, by Rumi, Nam Ahmad, Nam Jumle Oliast, Chonke Sad Ahmad, Nawat Hampishamost. The name of Ahmad is the name of all saints and all prophets. Because when you have a hundred, you have ninety, you have eighty, you have seventy, you have all uh, other numbers. So, and I should say that um, Rumi has his own fusus, because fusus Muhyiddin is the word of wisdom about every prophet, from Adam to Muhammad. Uh, but for Rumi, a prophet is not a word of a single wisdom. You can draw different wisdoms for every prophet, according to Rumi. For example, Abraham 
is, um, who is Abraham? Abraham is a person who does not fall in love with transient. This is the wisdom of Abraham, because Abraham looked, uh, according to the Quran, looked at first to the stars and said, well, they are my gods. But then when they set, the stars set, he said, well, no, I don't like the things that set. And then he looked at the moon and said, well, this is more bright, still brighter. So this is my Lord. He was, of course, his, he was leading his uh, followers to a reality. He said, well, this is my Lord. And then when it set, he said, well, I don't like these things which set. And then when he saw the sun, incandescent sun, la shams ba zeghatan, means bright and shining, he said, well, this is my Lord. But when the sun set, again, Abraham said, well, no, I don't like these things. I just turn my face to the one who never sets, who is ever present. And this is the station of Abraham. This is another station. But in other cases, but uh, Rumi derives other wisdoms from the same prophet. But Mohyeddin has emphasized on one singular wisdom for every uh, one of the prophets. Yes? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, sometimes I don't get... Could you set, say it in, in, in Farsi? Or, you, you don't know Farsi. I know that you, you are... You, you can say it in English. Okay. Please, a little bit more clear. you said in terms of describing the, uh, the verses of uh, Rumi and Mahidi and Hafiz and their outlook and uh, their perspective, it, it seems they seem to be in direct contradiction to the Qur'an. And, and my question is, if, if from an Islamic perspective, would one choose poetry over Quranic verses? I mean, do you see them as being almost on the same, on, 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 on an even ground? Because it, contradictions seem quite quite apparent. Uh, for example, the devil almost being described as being a friend of man. Yeah. Uh, the Quran is very clear about the nature of the devil. I mean, it says, I do what will be an evident, clear enemy. Yeah. Yes. yes, that's right. That is actually the whole question of uh, heresy uh, attributed to Muhyiddin and Rumi. And the whole clash is because of this. Because they don't understand that they are a, a different approach to the same question. Rumi a hundred times emphasizes that you shouldn't follow the devil. You should disobey him. You should do according to the Quran, you should follow Muhammad and not the devil. Alam a'had ilaykum ya bani adam Allah ta'abudu shaitan innahu lakum aduwun mubin. It is emphasized in the Quran that the devil is the adversary. Actually, adversary means the devil, I mean the enemy. The devil had different names. One of them is adversary. And so that is why Ainul Ghazata Hamidani was killed uh, by, was, uh, killed by uh, 
phoneticians because he wrote in his book, it is written, uh, that um, in certain respects, in certain aspects, um, the devil is higher at a higher level than Muhammad. And I remember that uh, uh, once a student in my class said, how is it that uh, you are teaching these books of these heretic people? I said, well, I ask you a question. If you read Ainul Ghazat, be fair and answer me. If you read Ainul Ghazat, would you become more in love with Muhammad or not? Everybody said yes, because he, is, he gives Muhammad such a praise, such affection, such love he shows for Muhammad, that anyone who reads Ainul Ghazat is in love with Muhammad. So that is something else. You don't understand. Don't think that you understand everything. Quran, of course, it is Kitab Mubin, but there are some muhkamat, some mutashabahat. Nobody but God knows. And except those great people who have penetrated, penetrated the depths of knowledge, the depths of understanding, the depths of wisdom, they can understand the meaning of those ayat which seem to be ambiguous. Were you describing the Mutashabihat? Yes, Mutashabihat. This is a warning in the Quran of those who delve into the Mutashabihat, only the knowledge of God. I don't remember any verses. No, it is not only God. It is the. La ya'lamu ta'awilahu illa Allah wa rasikhuna fil ilm. Yeah, but it says, wa rasikhuna. They say that the, the verse ends at that point. Wa rasikhuna fil ilm. No, that only God knows. Yes, that is a, a difference in interpretation that wa rasikhuna and. Those who penetrate, they say this and is, uh, has nothing to do with uh, uh, the previous sentence. This and is a new sentence, and God is giving you a new information. But they have a different idea. Of course. Yes. They have a different idea. There are different interpretations that Rasekhuna Fil Elm, they know that uh, the, the meaning of these Matshabahat. It's only God, of course. <laughs> But we have to discuss it because this is a, a hot discussion, a, a debate among the interpreters, uh, exegetes of the Quran, and um, we cannot easily decide that one of them is rejected and one is supported. We have to discuss it from different points of view. And um, actually, a Muslim is a person who is ready to accept to submit himself to the truth. Maybe he is true. How, how one can be sure that he, un, he, he knows more? He knows more than Muhyiddin. He knows more than Rumi. Because of Ibn Taymiyyah, for example. Who is Ibn Taymiyyah? What great book he has written. Ainul Ghazat is an international, universal person. But the people who reject Muhyiddin, just look what sort of people reject Mohyuddin. They are people who don't know anything. What great book they have written. Imam Fakhr Razi, what has he written? They didn't, didn't write anything universal. But Rumi is a great man, universally acknowledged to be great. So if we want to choose just by the greatness of the person, that his interpretation is nearer to truth, 
than uh, Ibn Taymiyyah or uh, others. Yeah. Are you saying that you don't understand metaphor? You can't understand metaphor? That it's simple? You know, I think the danger of too many metaphors is that it distracts from a simple understanding of the obvious. And when one delves so much into what's called mysticism, one can interpret anything according to one's way. And that works. You see, I think that uh, your argument is generally this that mysticism and mystic interpretation is not in accord with the Quran, right? Mostly this is like this. While Quran is full of metaphors, metonymy, allegories, parables, and uh, it is not true that when he says, well, my two hands, does, God doesn't have two hands. He hasn't got a body. But he says, the two hands of God is open. So it doesn't mean that uh, he has two hands or he's sitting on a throne. Uh, his throne um, is as big as the whole heavens. He is sitting on a throne. It doesn't mean that. It, it's a metaphor and there are many, many stories actually. Uh, he says that I tell you these stories, these metaphors, these parables, so that you think about it. So if, why should you think about it? Because when you think about it, you get a different idea. Otherwise, if it was clear, you didn't need to think about it. If it was quite clear, you, why, why he says, This is for people who think about it. Who reason about it. The people who have reason in their head. They can understand. So it means that there are things behind these letters. You have to reason to think about it. And what you just described is the Mother Shahidan. The hands of God, and when God speaks, when God looks. Yeah. These are described as Mother Shahidan, the metaphors you described. But they, what I was discussing was the Muhammad, which is very clear, and nowhere do they contradict the Mother Shahidan. But if the, what I find to be difficult to comprehend is that when you uh, 
quotes from Rumi or Muhyiddin or Hafiz or all these other poets, not to take any uh, beauty away from the power of the words. Yeah. It's just that they contradict the muhkamat of the Quran. And the contradiction is very clear and obvious. When it comes to the Islamic perspective, and I'm sure this has been going on for centuries of debate, how can one equate poetry, spiritual poetry, you know, yeah. poetry, as something that is Islamic and on par with the Quran, when there is a direct contradiction to the Muhammad Quran? Yeah. Well, actually, there is uh, a verse in the Quran that poets are people who are followed by libertines, by rogues, people. And, uh, but at the end, it says, except the poets who believe in God, who believe in spirituality, and do the right deed. You see, there is an exception. But usually... When they want to speak against poetry, they say, well, there is a Quran. Except, he says, yes, it's true that most people, uh, that is why Plato also rejects uh, poets. But he reads Sappho, the great poet, and he has praised Sappho, the lady, the, the first great poet of the world. And he says that Sappho uh, was not only a poet, he was one of the muses. The muses were not nine, they were ten. One of them was uh, Sappho. So, even Rumi himself rejects poetry. He says, what is this poetry? It is all um, crust. It is all uh, superficial. But his own poetry is different. The poetry, I don't know any poet who has not criticized poetry in Persian poetry. So I think uh, it is uh, the end of our time. But I hope, according to Muhyiddin, you are right in your own respect. He doesn't reject you. But he goes on to say what he believes. <laughs>